Have you ever been in one of those conversations where you're not exactly sure what's going on, but you're pretty sure that something big is going down? Uh, During the week, Catherine and I had our wedding anniversary, and I was recalling the day that I first asked her out. I was pretty nervous. You know, girl of my dreams, what's she going to say? I eventually mumbled out that I was interested, and was she? And then there was a pause bit too long for my liking. (laughs) Not sure what's happening. Finally, Catherine speaks and she quotes Shakespeare. Silence is the perfect herald of joy. Now, that would have been a priceless moment for the two of us if I had a clue what she was saying. (laughs) Had no idea what she meant. I didn't know Shakespeare. I liked football. I was pretty sure Catherine was answering my question. Had no idea whether she meant yes or no. Either way, something big was happening. I just wasn't sure what. Friends, it can be a little bit like that when we're reading Matthew 8 and 9. It's pretty obvious something big is happening, but exactly what to make of it, it can be a little bit tricky. Hopefully you read the chapters during the week, and if you did, you'll know they're filled with Jesus healing people. Even just scanning your eyes down the headings that they put in the chapter, there's leprosy, paralysis, blindness, demons, the mute, even the dead are raised to life. There are so many different things that are wrong with people and Jesus just heals them all. But exactly what are we to do with these chapters? What do they teach us about Jesus and what difference does it make to us? Well, to see the point of these chapters, we need to see where they fit in their context. So firstly, in the book of Matthew, what have we seen so far? Well, back in chapter 4, Jesus' first words to Israel were that they needed to repent. Remember, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Israel wasn't living according to God's law as they were meant to be. And so in chapters 5 to 7, we saw this last week, Jesus calls Israel back to the law. He calls them back to live wholeheartedly under the old covenant. Now, as we now turn to chapters 8 and 9, we discover that Israel had really turned their backs on God and his law. Because under the old covenant, God promised Israel that if they abandoned his law, he would curse them. Their lives would be plagued with all manner of illness and disease and affliction. And that is exactly the state of Israel in Jesus' day. Disease and affliction running rampant because Israel is under God's curse. So very quickly, to put these chapters in the context of the Bible, up on the screen are going to come some of God's promises of what he said he would do to Israel if they didn't carefully obey his law. So these all come from Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, Israel's about to enter the promised land for the very first time. Moses warns them against turning their backs on God when they go into the land, here's some of what he said. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness and confusion of mind. A people that you do not know will eat what your land and labour produce and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all your days. 
The Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. And that's just some of what Moses warned the people about. And at the time of Jesus, it's happening. Matthew 8 and 9 are filled with people suffering from diseases, fever, illnesses, oppression by their enemies, blindness, disasters. Children are dying. Israel has abandoned God's law so much that in Matthew 8 and 9, evil spirits are infecting God's people. And what it all tells us is that at the time of Jesus, Israel was under God's curse. They had turned their backs on God, they had forsaken his law, and so God had come against them in judgment. Israel was under God's curse. But what Matthew 8 and 9 also show us is that Jesus came to reverse the curse. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's people with things wrong, and with extraordinary ease, Jesus just heals them all. So let's have a quick look at them. Uh, We'll start in chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Just by touching him and giving the word, the leprosy is gone. Next up is the servant of a Roman centurion, verse 5. Verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Now, at this point, the centurion, you would have heard it as David read it, the centurion insists that Jesus not come to his house. Uh, He knows that all Jesus has to do is give the word. And so that's what Jesus does. Down to verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it'll be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. See, Jesus doesn't even have to physically be there and the servant is healed. Uh, Jesus just keeps on going. Verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. So for Peter's mother-in-law, he just touches her hand and the fever leaves her. The demon-possessed, they're healed with just a word and every single sick person that was brought to Jesus is sent home healed. The next one shows us that even nature's gone out of control. But again, Jesus brings it to heal. Jesus is in a boat with his disciples on the lake. A furious storm comes up. The disciples are so scared, they think they're going to die. And then we get to verse 26. Verse 26, he, that's Jesus, he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And Jesus just keeps on going. Next up, it's demons. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they get out of the boat. They're on the other side of the lake and they're confronted with two demon-possessed men. Now, these two men were so powerful and violent that no one was able to go near them. But as soon as Jesus strides into view, the demons start cowering in fear. Verse 29, look at it there. Verse 29, this is what the demons say to Jesus. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. 
Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Previously unchallenged demons, but with Jesus, they're begging that they don't get tortured or destroyed. And the men are healed. Next up is the paralyzed man that's brought to Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. It's a weird thing to say, as we thought about in the kids' talk. He's come to have his legs healed. The religious leaders that are around at the time thinking Jesus claiming to be able to forgive sins is more than weird. They think it's blasphemy. Only God can forgive. But Jesus takes them up on the challenge. And so he says, to show that I do have the authority to forgive sins... I'll also heal the man's legs. So pick it up in chapter 9, verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. Again, it's just a word. And the man is healed. And the hits just keep on rolling. Next up is a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She sneaks up on Jesus without him knowing it. And just by touching his cloak, she gets healed. And this all happens while Jesus is on his way to visit a girl who's just died. When Jesus arrives at the house, there's his big crowd there mourning over the death of the child. But Jesus sends the crowd outside and then he goes to the dead girl. Verse 25, chapter 9, verse 25, after the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. Now, Matthew records it in just a few words, but are you taking that in? Jesus goes inside. From Mark and Luke, we know that the mum and the dad are with him. And you can imagine their desperation, at least in part, can't you? Their little girl is dead. And Jesus just walks up to their lifeless daughter, takes hold of her cold hand, and the warmth of life returns. The breath of life rushes back into her lungs, and the girl stands up. And Matthew closes off the chapter with yet more healings. Uh, Two blind men find Jesus which you've got to admit is pretty impressive. And uh, with just a touch, Jesus gives them back their sight. And lastly, it's a demon-possessed man who can't speak, and Jesus just gives him his voice back. It is a remarkable couple of chapters, isn't it? For Israel, people everywhere, they are suffering from diseases, fever, blindness, and it all points to the promised curse of God. God said he'd make Israel's life miserable if they turned their backs on his law. And here in Matthew 8 and 9, Israel's children are dying. Demons have got the run of the place. And then along comes Jesus. He's like a man walking in total darkness, but he's got one of those enormous floodlights. And everywhere he goes and everything he touches, the light of life shines brightly, overcoming the darkness, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, evil spirits run for cover. And Jesus did it all because he had come to reverse God's curse. 
He'd come to bring Israel back under God's blessing. He'd come to bring an end to their sin and so an end to the judgment of God. Matthew spells this out for us back in chapter 8. So come back there with me in verse 17 because we'll see that Matthew explains why Jesus did all these healings. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Okay, So look at it there, chapter 8, verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was... Now, just pause there. What are you expecting to read next? Jesus healed all the sick, and this was because Jesus was so powerful. Or this was because the people asked him to heal them. Or this was because the people wouldn't leave Jesus alone until he'd healed them. Why did Jesus heal all the sick? Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. That's why Jesus healed all the sick, to fulfill Isaiah 53. He healed all the sick to fulfill the words that had been said about him. His healings are more about him than they are about the people who got healed. He healed people to identify himself. As we read Matthew 8 and 9, we're meant to go, Oh, Jesus is Isaiah 53. Matthew quotes half of verse 4 of Isaiah 53, Uh, Up on the screen, here's verses 4 to 6 to get the quote in context. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Isaiah speaks of this person who will come and save Israel by taking upon himself the weaknesses of his people. This person will take their illnesses, their infirmities, and he'll take their sins, their iniquities. Now, you might think that's a bit of a weird combo. You know, why is he going to take their sicknesses and their sins? You know, what have they got to do with one another? Isn't one a problem with the body and the other one a problem with the soul? What's the link? Why is he going to take both? Well, it's what we saw from Deuteronomy 28. For Israel, under the law, being plagued with severe sicknesses, was a sign of them being under the curse of God for their sin. And so for Israel, when they'll be rescued from their sin, you'll be able to tell because all their illnesses will melt away as well. That's what Isaiah 53 is saying. And it's not a new idea in Isaiah. Back in chapter 35, we read these words. Anton read them for us at the start. These words from Isaiah 35. With divine retribution, God will come to save you. It's talking of Israel. He'll come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. 
Israel being saved by God will mean, sure, the forgiveness of their sins, but it'll also mean the removal of their sicknesses. Because for Israel, under the law, sin and sickness went hand in hand. And so as we read Matthew 8 and 9, and Jesus is going bananas, healing absolutely everyone, you know, opening the eyes of the blind and making the lame leap and making the mute shout for joy. We're meant to realise that Jesus must be God's promised saviour. He's the one who has come to reverse God's curse. He's the one who's come to restore God's blessing. He's the one to come that will forgive sins and he did it. As we've seen, he healed Israel of their sicknesses. And when we get to the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus takes their place and he dies for their sins. He was pierced for their transgressions. The punishment that brought them peace was upon him. And then he was raised to life because sins have now been paid for. The judgment of God's been poured out in full. Forgiveness is secured. Life has been won. Peace with God is now available. But what about us? Where do we fit in? With Jesus' healings. What are we to make of all of this living now as those who do trust in Jesus but in the 21st century? What does this all mean for us? Well, Jesus can obviously heal anyone of anything. That much is very obvious. And so are we to expect the same? I mean, there's cancer in just about every single family somewhere. Mental health, growing concern. Back issues, hips, heart problems. I could be here a while, couldn't I? The list goes on and on. As we read Matthew 8 and 9, are we to expect that Jesus will heal us of all our illnesses too? Well, some will say that, yes, that's exactly what we should expect. And they'll tell you that if you've got enough faith, you'll be healed. Because Jesus can and will heal you. And if you ask and you don't get healed, well, then it can't be Jesus' fault. And so it must mean that you don't have enough faith in him. He's waiting for you to to believe in him enough and then he'll heal you. But that would be to read these chapters and not pay any attention to what Matthew says about how to understand Jesus' healings. Matthew tells us in black and white, Jesus did his healings to fulfill Isaiah 53. And as we've already seen, it's tied directly to Israel and their sins and being under the curse of God. And Jesus came to reverse that curse. But we're not Israel. We're not under the law. We're not under that curse of God. And so we can't read of these healings here and expect or demand that Jesus do the same for us. That's not what these healings are about. As we turn to the New Testament letters, we don't get any promises that we'll be healed. Now, in the New Testament, there are recordings of people being healed. It's not to say that Jesus can't heal us today. Of course he can. We just don't have any promises that he will. God promised that when he came to deliver Israel from their sin, he'd heal their sicknesses too because their sins and their sicknesses were tied together. But we're not Israel. So is it okay for us to pray that God will heal us? Of course it's okay. God can, God does, 
And I'm sure God will intervene and heal people in the future, but we don't have any promises that he will. And so when we pray for healing, we can't demand it from God. In fact, we can't even expect it of God. He hasn't promised that he'll do it. If we're not healed, it's not because we lack faith either. It's just that God has greater plans for us than making us physically or mentally better. He does promise, he does promise us the eternal glory of being made more like Christ and that trumps being made temporarily physically better and so God does promise to use our troubles as instruments in his hands to see us stand firm in his love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord so that we will be welcomed into the eternal kingdom of God. And so as we read Matthew 8 and 9, we can't just read ourselves directly into it and expect Jesus to do the same for us because it's not what these chapters are about. Matthew didn't write his gospel for us to think that it's all about us. The most important question to ask as you read Matthew is not, what's in it for me? Uh, Matthew wrote his gospel about Jesus the Christ and so the most important question to ask is, what does this teach us about Jesus? And as Matthew spells out in chapter 8 verse 17, what these chapters teach us about Jesus is that he's come to save people. That's the big thing that's going down in Matthew 8 and 9. Jesus is the one who can save people. That's what the healings are all about. Jesus can save people from their sin and the judgment of God. And as we keep reading Matthew's book, the great news for us is that Jesus came not just to save Israel from their sin, but the rest of the world too. His death on the cross was for people from all nations. And so in reading Matthew 8 and 9, we are to marvel that Jesus is God's promised saviour, the one who can remove our sin. And so we should turn to him for our sins to be taken away. Ask him for forgiveness. And if he's the saviour of the world, well then, friends, surely we would want to tell the world about him. As Jesus looked on the Israel of his day, they desperately needed saving. And as Jesus looks down from his throne in heaven upon Australia today, he sees the same thing. A nation desperately in need of being saved from sin. He sees a world desperately in need of being saved from sin. And he has opened our eyes to the news that he is the one who can. And so let's go and tell the world that the Saviour has come. Let's tell our friends and our neighbours they can have peace with God. Why not ask a friend or a neighbour if you could read these chapters of Matthew with them? Why not ask them, have they ever thought about who Jesus is? Because you never know, your friends, your neighbours, your workmates they might be the next people that Jesus saves into his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus in his life just identified himself very clearly, that we can know that he has come to be the saviour. And so, Father, we thank you for us here 2,000 years later, that we can enjoy being saved from our sin, 
Father, we ask that you would help us to spread this great news and speak of your Son, that others too might know him and be saved from their sin. And Father, as we wait for your Son to come again in the midst of our trials and troubles, our illnesses, our frailties, Father, in all that we find hard, Father, we pray that we might continue to entrust ourselves to you, looking forward to when your Son will return and bring in the new creation and where trouble and sin and sickness have all gone away. And so, Father, we ask that that day would come soon. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.